Thank you, guys. This, they're so faithful. They've been yeah. here for so long. Some of them were here through all of COVID. And uh, I just so appreciate, appreciate you and your faithfulness. Let's pray again. Let's continue to pray tonight. Father, we come out of this day. For everyone that's here, those that are watching online, it's, it's a different day. For some of us, it may have been a very hectic, demanding day, and we'll come here and just try to stay awake and enjoy the presence of God and the peace that's in this place. And we trust, Lord, that they'll be able to hear what they need to hear today. Some may be coming from a day of great victory, a day of great accomplishments. Some may be just coming from a dull, doldrum day, day in and day out. But help us to leave the day we have had. Help us to leave the issues that are in our life, whether they're in our family, our health, finances, whether it's just a general concern about this nation and where things are going and help us to leave all of that outside for Father this is a sanctuary a place that's set aside where your people can come and meet with you and although we can meet with you in our dining room our living room our bedroom in our car this is set aside specifically for that purpose that we your people can come and meet with you so we're asking your spirit to refresh us tonight, to strengthen us tonight, encourage us tonight, and also instruct us, as Pastor Ray just prayed, that we can take something practical home with us because your word is very practical. Because you're not just here to encourage us and strengthen us. You're here that our lives may be changed through your word. And then through us, you may bring change into the lives of others. So to do this, Father, I take the things that I've studied and prepared over all these years and even for this night and put them into your hands and just trust the Spirit of God to guide not only what I say but what we're able to hear. And if we trust you for that process, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Welcome, those of you that are here in person. Those of you I can see, most of you, some of you in the back I can't see. And those of you that are joining us online, we're so glad that you're with us tonight on this beautiful spring, almost summer-like weather. And so we're grateful that you're here. I believe you'll be blessed because you're here tonight. We're, well, put, put you have Romans 12, one to put up there. We're in this series, Renewing the Mind, which we started on a few Sunday mornings, and, and we moved to Wednesday night. And as I, we were worshiping, uh, just coming back to me, that, that how much over the last couple of years, how, how much change God has brought inside of me. I've been a Christian for 44 years, 45 years, and I've been growing more over the last few months than, I've, than I ever have. And I realize it's been growing because the process that we're talking about is what I've been doing. And this is the scripture, this is uh, the, our cardinal scripture here. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, and he's just spent the first 11 chapters going over what those mercies are. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. God has the audacity to tell us that our bodies are not our own. That we're stewards over our bodies. That it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's his dwelling place. And I think a lot of the reasons why we have trouble with our bodies 
is we think they're ours and we can do with them what we want. And of course, that's a major controversy in this nation legally as the Supreme Court is considering what to do with Roe versus Wade. So, next verse. This is where we're focused. That's talking about the body. But do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Perfect will of God. We're talking about here, the core teaching here is based on those two words, conformed and transformed. What we're instructed is to not be conformed to this world. And boy, if we're ever living in a time when the world's trying to conform us, it's now. The pressures that are on us, and that word conform, we've talked about this many times before, is a Greek, Greek, Greek word that means to change what you look like on the outside by pressure from the outside. And so there's great pressure on us to, to look at the issues of the world today regarding gender, regarding all of these issues from the world's point of view and being pressured. And it's not just an issue, it's pressure to do it. And, and, and I don't want to get into those right now. But those are to make us conform. Satan couldn't stop God from coming in you and bringing change in you. So his next best thing is to try to stop the change God's put in you from coming to the outside so that it can affect other people. And that's what his whole goal is. But we are to, what we are to do is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is a Greek word which means takes what you really essence of who you are on the inside and begin to work that so it shows up on the outside. And so that, 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 that literally, and we'll talk about this at the end of this because there's at the end God's instructed me to teach a little differently. But, but what the, we're going to learn is we're learning how to take, first of all, you've got to believe what God's put in you. That Jesus is in heaven, the Spirit of God's in you, but Christ is Christ in you. We've talked about this in a number of different messages from a number of different points of view, is that Christ has come to live in you through the Holy Spirit. His nature is in you. His power is in you. His life is in you. The resurrection life of Christ is in you. Now, it's going to raise your body in the last day, but it's the same life, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, Romans 8, 11. The power of God. When you receive physical healing, it doesn't come down out of heaven. It comes out of your core of who you are. So that whatever you need, the healing you need, the wisdom you need, it's in you right now. And the reason we're not experiencing it is because we're not really transformed yet. So put the, put the next slide up that I gave you, the first slide up I gave you. We went over this in the beginning on a Sunday morning. The left side is a partial list of what God has put in you. You're a new creature. You have his nature. God says you're holy. This part of you is holy and without blame. You're his child. You've been redeemed from Satan's hold, transformed. The Bible says you've been, trans, you've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, and you have an inheritance. And the legal side is what God has put in you. The vital side on the right is how much of that is showing up on the outside, and what this chart shows you is that Romans 12.2 says this transfer from the inside to the outside is through the process of, renewing, process of renewing your mind. Show the next slide. And this gives us an example of why. Because you're made of two parts, three parts really. You, your body, which we just talked about, that's your earth suit. That's the part that allows you to function in this world. Your inner person is a spirit being. 
because the Bible talks about two different realms of existence. There is the spirit realm where God exists, the angels exist, the demons exist, and that realm is very, very real. And your spirit, man, the inner core of who you are, is out from that realm. They live in your body, and those two realms cannot naturally contact each other. So God gave you a third part, which is your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, and that is the bridge that bridges between your body and your spirit. And we've gone over that before. So, And then the next slide. And what this is all about is the core of your, of your, of your, uh, of your soul is your will. Your will determines what you will do. It determines what your body will do. It determines what your spirit is able to do. It's all controlled by your will. And so there's a battle that's going on between God's kingdom and God and Satan's kingdom to control your will because your will will determine what can come out of you and what can get in you. And, and so he uses your mind and your emotions are all used to influence your will. God will not control your will. He will not take over your will. He will influence your will primarily through the leading of the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. Satan tries to influence your will by thoughts and by pressure. We've talked about that before. So the battle is for your will, but the battlefield is fought in your mind. So let's go to the... Let's go to... Um, this is obviously review, but I'm trying to bring us up to date here. So... We've talked about this. Your mind is the gateway of what goes into your, into your heart and what comes out of your heart. Then we talked about how your mind works. It works in three different things, thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. So put up, uh, that's, hold that there. In fact, would you go to 2 Corinthians 10, skip down. There you go. For we don't walk in the flesh, but we walk not in the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's it. But we walk not in the flesh, <laughs> Slow down, John. For, I'm trying to get the next verse. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're going to talk about those weapons tonight. But they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So strongholds is one of them. Casting down arguments. Another word for that is imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So what we learned is that our mind, which is what we're learning to renew, our mind works in patterns of thoughts. And those, because your mind is designed to take whatever comes in and tries to form it into some kind of meaning, and those meanings, when it's able to connect them together, those meanings form images. So you've got the basic unit that your mind works in is thoughts. It's important to understand that because in order to renew your mind, we've got to understand that's the basic unit we're going to work with. Those thoughts, when they collect together, produce an image, and you, you react and respond to these images. So when you've had a dream and you wake up sweating and your heart's pumping, it's because it wasn't thoughts that went through your mind. It was images that came in your mind, maybe by thoughts, but it was images that you reacted to. So images is what your mind responds to, and if those images have been there long enough and acted on long enough, they become a stronghold. And we've spent time breaking all those down. Go back to the image before that, the one with the... That's it. So we use this as an example. This is the old dot-to-dot or connect-the-dots puzzle game. And so your mind takes those individual thoughts, which in this case are numbered dots, and your mind tries to put them together 
and connect them together to have meaning. And when I taught this the first time, uh, I, I had a slide that connects all those together, and you can tell from it that it's a cat. But then I had a slide where your mind connected these dots together in the wrong order, and it looked like a monster. So the order that you, the order that you connect these dots to forms an image, and it's either the image that God wants you to have in your mind, or it's the image Satan wants, or just your own image. So that's the process we're going through. So here's that we go through that because... What we're going to learn now is the, the, the exercise. We're going to begin to learn some practical things tonight. The, the, the skills I'm going to teach you, the tools I'm going to teach you, and none of these are things you have not heard before. There's nothing new you're going to hear, but we're going to talk about them in some depths. These are designed to change the thoughts that go in your mind because the process we've learned is this. If you've got a stronghold in your mind that's a controlling you, you're not going to get rid of the stronghold by attacking the stronghold. Because all you do is you'll make the stronghold stronger. Because one of the principles we've learned is the more you think about something, the bigger it gets in your mind. So the more you try to determine that you're going to lose weight, the more your mind believes you can't lose weight. The more you think about, uh, the pro the more you think about something you're afraid of, the more afraid you become of that because it becomes more embedded in your mind. So the way you get rid of the old strongholds is, first of all, you stop feeding them because they have to be fed. And then you replace them with new ones. And the way you create, a, and the idea is the new strongholds will be strongholds based on God's word. And so we, we create the new strongholds by creating new images, and we form new images by putting in, putting in new thoughts and where the other thoughts that got in your mind, you weren't taking control of them, but somebody was, we're going to intentionally learn how to take thoughts out of God's Word and put them into our mind to form an image that comes right out of God's Word. So we'll be, what we're doing is we're, we're renewing our, listen carefully, we're renewing our mind to who we really are on the inside. So we're not renewing our mind to some imaginary thing that's not real. It's not like that old... Years ago, I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago, in the 70s, I remember, because I was trying to find, I wasn't a Christian, I was trying to find some meaning in life, and one of the popular books back then was, I'm okay, you're okay. And it made you feel better about yourself, because I would say, look, you're okay, so if you're okay, I'm going to be okay. The problem was, I knew I wasn't okay, and I was so strongly suspected you weren't either. So that's imaginary. That's creating an image that's not related to something that's real, and somewhere down inside, we know that. But what we're going to do is learn to create the images in your mind of who you really are, what God has really done inside of you. And here's the wonderful thing. The images that you have in your mind of you and God or the strongholds you have, they may have been there for years, but they're based on a lie. But what we're going to learn to do is put truths in your mind that are based on God's word and they're anointed by God. They're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. They're anointed by God for that very, very purpose. So that's what we're going to begin to learn tonight. So first of all, these are the weapons that Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 10.4 when he says they're mighty through God for the tearing down of strongholds. Now, understand this. Most of, by the way, these notes have been posted, so if you want to get them because they're, um, anyway, uh, most of the efforts that we've tried to do to change our thinking and change our images, most of our efforts have been by our flesh. 
We've tried to be self-disciplined. We've tried to get control of things, and it just hasn't worked because we've tried to do it by our own effort instead of taking the process that God has ordained for this and allowing that to work in us. Because the flesh is weak, there's a, remember Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying right before he goes to the cross, and he tells his disciples, would you please wait for me here, pray, because I'm going to go through this big struggle, and he comes back and they're asleep. And in Matthew's account, he has to come back two times to wake them up. And he says to them, I think it's in Matthew's account, for the, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So a lot of times my flesh is just so weak. But that's good news, because if your flesh is weak, it can be easily controlled. You just have to learn how to control it. And this is part, we're going to learn to use these tools to do that. The hardest part of this is making the decision you're going to do it. Now the list I'm going to go through, these skills, tools I'm going to go through, is not an exhaustive list, but, but these are the most important ones. Okay, the first one's meditation. And we've all heard this before. Let's talk, first of all, about what meditation, what it is, and then what it's not. The word meditate literally means to chew over or to mull it around in your mind. It's, it's to go over something in your mind over and over and over and over. It's kind of like in eating, it's kind of like chewing something because there's such a delicious flavor to it. You really don't want to swallow it just yet. You want to get everything out of it, all the flavor out of it you can. And some real gourmet, I guess, know how there are different parts of your tongue that are sensitive to different kinds of flavors, and they know how to get the most enjoyment out of that. And, but while you're doing that, what's happening is, whether you realize it or not, your body's beginning to ingest it. Because some of, what your, some of how your body absorbs the nutrition out of things happens right in your mouth, and then you, you, you chew it up enough to swallow it, and it completes the process as it goes through your body. So meditating on something is getting thoughts in your mind that you intentionally put there and mulling them over, running them around in your mind. And you do that all the time. You're just not conscious, conscious that you're doing it. So it means to, to, to mull something over in your mind. It means to dwell on it. Let your mind think about it over and over and over again. And as you do, what you're doing is you're pl- intentionally planting thoughts in your mind. So, and this is actually something that you're very experienced at. You may not be experienced at meditating on God's Word, but you're experienced at meditating on something because all worry is, is meditating on the wrong things. What do you do? I'm going to go through some steps in a few minutes to show you things to do, practical things to do, to meditate. And I I learned to do these things by looking at what I do when I worry about something. So you already know how to do this, but when you worry... You're not doing that intentionally. It's because it's become a habit and it's second nature. So the good news is if you can worry, you can meditate. And we're going to learn to use the experience that you developed in meditating to learn, uh, in worrying to meditate on God's Word. So the first thing is it takes a conscious effort. Meditation is not reading a verse over and over again. I've been... I've been in hospital rooms of, of people that were 
diagnosed with very serious, dire conditions. And I remember one person years ago going in their room, hospital room, and they're, they're having healing scriptures played to them over and over and over again. And I'm not saying that's wrong to do, but I knew immediately he wasn't doing any good because he's just playing scriptures over and over again. I can, I, can be, I can be having a conversation with you and have scriptures run through my mind, scriptures I just know so well because I've prayed them and spoken them so many times, but I'm not thinking about them. I'm thinking about something else. So just listening to scriptures, just reading scriptures is not meditating on them. It's important to read the scriptures. So first of all, that's how you come to know what they say and how you come familiar with, it, familiar with them. But meditating is not reading scriptures. Meditating is not studying the scriptures. That's one of the tools we'll learn. But meditating is not, it, it, it is a form of it, but it's not pure meditation. Meditation is when you take the scriptures and you think about that scripture. And again, I'm going to give you some very practical steps for doing that. So it's not just reading verses over and over again. It's something that you purpose to do. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you some practical steps to think about when you're looking at a verse and you're going to meditate on it. Number one is... um, is make sure you know exactly what it says. You can put them up there. When I do this in a class, these come in one at a time, but because of the software we use here, you get them all at once. So the very first thing when you're going to meditate on a scripture is make sure you understand what it says, literally says. I can't tell you the number of times I've read a scripture and all of a sudden I see a word in there I didn't see. Oh my goodness, it says not. Not changes the whole meaning of it. Or, or that's a pretty extreme one, but I've had times when all of a sudden I see a word, and I never saw that word before. I didn't really notice that word before. I mean, I read it, but so make sure you know what it says, because if you, whatever you think it says is what you're going to be putting in you. So make sure what, you th- what it says is what you think it says. Now, guess what? While you're going through that process, guess what you're doing? You're meditating on that word. So these are exercises, very practical exercises that by doing these steps, you are going to be meditating on the word. So make sure you know exactly what it says. Ask yourself this question. What does that say? What is God saying to me with this? What does it say? Does it, do I understand what this means? Then the second thing is to think about whether it makes sense in light of several aspects. First of all, does it, is, it, is what you think it say consistent with the rest of the Bible, what you know of the rest of the Bible, the spirit of the Bible? Because people often mistake things by taking a verse, taking it out of context, not just out of context with the verses that it's part of, but also out of the context of the Bible. I'll give you an example, and this is something that I've started to write. I, I, and this is, my, this is me, and, and God's been helping me to, to understand how I think when I, when I read and how I think when I teach and how I think, and, and I don't encourage anybody else to think the way I think. <laughs> but, but I have trouble, let, let's take healing. If I'm going to study healing and meditate on healing, I have trouble just picking healing verses. 
Because what, what helped me was when God, the Holy Spirit, because I started meditating on healing verses, and I started saying, this is just not, there's a block somewhere. It's not getting in me at the level that it needs to get in me. And so if that's happening, just ask the Holy Spirit. He's your teacher. And he began to show me ways to think about these scriptures in a particular order, and suddenly I realized this was the issue to me. It may never occur to you, and if it doesn't, you're blessed. But, but the scriptures that I'm meditating on, in my mind, they have to be consistent with the character of God. So to just take a scripture to me and say, well, I'm going to believe this, if it doesn't line up with the character and nature of God, I'm not going to accept it. Because it's like, and I, this came out of my, my legal training, I can't just come up to a judge and make some kind of argument. It's got to be consistent with the spirit of the law. And if it's not, it's not going to, he's, not going to, he's not going to buy it. So I began to understand this. Okay, so I started meditating instead of just on the scriptures, on scriptures that teach me the character of God about healing. And I did a whole series here, I think earlier this year or last year, on that based on my study, my meditation on God's character and how these scriptures represent his character. For instance, Jesus said, I'm going to just give you the New Testament. Jesus, Jesus said to his disciples, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. How do you say, "Show us the Father"? Don't you know that if don't you know that if the Father's in me and I'm in Him, otherwise believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus said, "I only do what I see my Father do." So to take healing scriptures and say, "Well, Jesus healed this person, healed that person," that's great. Maybe that was just for His time, but no, He was doing it, acting out the character of God. And one thing about somebody's character is it doesn't change. God's character has never changed from Genesis 1 through the end of Revelation. It's God's character. It's the essence of who he is. And then Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the things Jesus did, the healings he did, he did out of the character and the nature of God. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that he is the outshining of God's radiance, of God's glory, and the exact representation of God's nature. And as that began to dawn on me, now the doorway was open in my mind and heart to receive the scriptures about healing that Jesus performed because they were consistent with God's character. And I don't know why I got off on all that, but it was good. Oh, think about whether it makes sense. So in my thinking... Just to hear scriptures, if they're not consistent with the character of God, then to me they don't make sense. And people do that. They'll just pick my favorite scripture and I'm going to study this and meditate on this. But where does, the Bible is bigger than one scripture. It's communicating what God's like. It's communicating what God's done. It's communicating a big picture of which those are just parts. And I need to know that are consistent with the whole thing. So does it make sense? Does it fit in with the Bible? Guess what? While you're thinking about that, guess what you're doing? You're meditating. So these are like questions I'm giving you that as you think about these things, you'll be meditating on that verse. Then here's another one. Look at it from different points of view. What do I mean by that? Well, several ways to do this. If you're, if you're, if you're meditating on a story, for instance, if it's a story on healing, and you've got a, the story, for instance, where... Uh, um, Let's say where, where the centurion, but let's use Jairus. Jairus is the, is the synagogue, is the teacher in the synagogue. He comes to Jesus. His daughter's about to die. And, the, and Jesus said, I'll come and heal her. And on the way, 
the woman with the issue of blood touches him, her, her, her blood is dried up, and Jesus stops to talk to her. Now, you've got a situation there where you've got Jairus, you've got Jesus, you've got the woman with the issue, issue of blood, and then you've got Jairus' servant coming to tell him it's too late, your daughter's dead. So you've got four people, at least, in this scene. So look at the scene, think about the scene from each one of their different points of view. And guess what? While you're doing that, you're meditating on the Word. It begins to become alive to you. And as it begins to become alive in your mind, you'll find something begins to happen. You'll begin to get insight. The Spirit of God will take what you're meditating on. So much of my teachings come out of my own meditations where the Spirit of God shows me this and shows me that. But I meditate on that day in, day out at different times of the day. I'll meditate on it. I'll just think about it while I'm driving in the car. And the more I think about it, you're giving the Holy Spirit something to work with. And the more you think about it, the more you, you, you talk to yourself about it. That's another way to do it. The more you think about, what does this mean? What would this look like? What would it, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Then the Spirit of God's able to, to shine light on different parts of it and make it alive to you. So think about, what, think about it from different points of view. Another way to do this, a real simple way to do this, is, is to take a, a scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's to take one word at a time and emphasize it. For God so loved the world. And I think about what does it mean that for? Well, for is a conjunction there that's connecting what he said before with this. For God so loved the world. Okay, what does it mean that it's God that loved the world? I mean, if it was me that loved the world or, or you that loved the world, that'd be great. But this is God. And who is it that God is that loves the world? Well, he's holy. He's pure. He's, he's, and yet he loves this stinking world. For God so... I did a whole Christmas message on the word so. Because so takes that verse from being a statement of fact, God loved the world, to a comparison of what God's nature, the depths of God's nature. For God so loved, and then you begin to think about the word love. So you meditate. I'm going to use another verse in a few minutes to do the same thing. Guess what you're doing while we're doing that? You're meditating on it as you emphasize the different words. So these are practical little things you can do with a verse to begin to meditate on it, because just like, I've got to meditate on this verse for about 10 minutes. Let's see. Oh. How long has it been? Two minutes? It's like, no, you need to, to play with it. You need to just play with it. And let, okay. Then the next thing is visualize it. Visualizing is a very powerful tool. If you've ever watched a golf tournament, the professional golfers, and they all seem to do the same thing, before they're going to hit their shot, They'll stand behind the ball, and they'll look down there. They hold their club in the right hand, and they look down there, and what they're doing is they're visualizing their shot. They're imagining they're getting a positive image. They're renewing their mind. They're getting a positive image of their shot, of where they want to see that shot go when they hit it, because there's a connection between what they see and then what their body does. And they've, I've, been, I've, been, I've read that if they hit a bad shot, they will not hit the next shot until they've, they've changed the image it was in their mind of that last shot. And they go over and over and over again reprogramming that image of that last shot until they turn it into a positive image. Now, if they can do that with a golf shot, 
and have it work? How much more can we do with God's word that is representing the reality of what God has done in you and who God has put in you? So you visualize it. So you begin to imagine, like, like these stories, just let your imagination begin to run about what this is like. And the last thing is to project it. Project it is kind of like visualizing it, but it's really asking yourself, okay, what if this really were true? Well, of course it's true, it's the Bible. Yeah, but the problem is we don't really believe it's true. I mean, imagine, oh, imagine, imagine that it really is true. I heard a message years ago, um, um, and I've forgotten who the teacher was, who went to um, what was then Jerry Falwell's Bible school, and he took, he took a verse, what was it? It was in, oh, it was given and shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaking. And, and, and these, were, these were evangelical Bible students. They weren't filled with the Spirit. They weren't talked about, you know, they weren't talking about God prospers you. They were taught very strict line Baptist teaching. And this teacher stood in front of them and says, read that, he says, what if that really were true? What if that really were true, that you gave and it would be given back to you? What, what if it really were true? And they kind of looked at him like, well, of course it's true. And he said, but, but do you really believe that? So projecting it means, what would it be like if this really were true? What would, it be, what would, it, what would, what would your life be like if Hebrews 13, 5 really were true that says God will never... In the Greek, it says, God will never, no, never, no, never, ever forsake you or let you be utterly cast down. What if that were actually true? And you really believe that? How would you be afraid? Wow, a price of gas may go up to $7. So what? God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. Now, I've had, I got caught on this lately because I've been listening to these reports and hear people talk, oh my gosh, gas is going to, and I start watching the gas prices myself as I drive by them. You know, and I start, so I'm, I'm meditating. CNN comes on or it comes up on Google, is where it pops up, you know, it says, gas prices are expected at $10. It's like, and, you know, I look at that, but that starts getting in. And then I look at, drive by these gas stations and notice it going up, and then you start projecting well, if it's going up at this gas pump, then I just got an oil bill that was twice my last month's oil bill. And then you start projecting, well, what's going to be, that's going to affect everything else that's going on. And the next thing you know, you start getting anxious. Why? I've been meditating. So what I've started to do is answer those thoughts. When I start getting those thoughts and I find myself getting a little anxious, I say, oh, no, my God supplies all my needs. My God supplies all my needs according to His riches and glory. Not according to what mobile or any of the others have, according to His riches and glory. And then I think back over things He's done for us, ways He's provided for us when, when it seemed to be no way. You begin to think about those things, and guess what? You're meditating on that scripture. Because when we worry, we're projecting. Worries, fears, all, worries, always future-oriented. 
Well, if this happens, I'm going to lose my job. If I lose my job, I won't be able to pay my mortgage. If I pay my mortgage, we're going to get, lose our house. If I lose my house, I may lose my family. And the next thing you know, you're on skid row. And, and you're still in your house with your family. But our mind works that way, so why not work it to project God's word to what God says? So projecting is visualizing, is really visualizing in the future. A couple of verses here. Ephesians 2, let's use an example. 2, 4, this is in the Amplified. This is, this is one I like to do. It says, For God is so, so rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he satisfied... Oh, in the, in the New King James, it says, uh, For God is rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. The Amplified does what it says. It takes that and it amplifies, it draws out the meaning. So look at the... For, but God, so, so... That word so is very powerful because he's measuring. He's measuring the, the degree of God's love. God is so rich in his mercy because of. So what's motivating God is what it's about to follow. Because of and in order to satisfy. Now, the word satisfy is a very powerful word. If you've ever been really thirsty and you can't wait to get, get, get a drink of water to satisfy that thirst. Or you get up in the morning and you're trying to find that cup of co- that coffee and you can't find where the coffee is because you've got to have that cup of coffee. You're looking for your body to get satisfied with that caffeine. Or, or, or you, you get a mosquito bite or an itch. Somewhere, somewhere, see... That drives you to satisfy some driving need inside of you. And that's what drove God to send Christ to the cross for you. You are the itch. You are the thirst. You are the hunger that he had to satisfy. And the only way he could satisfy it was to send his son to that cross. We just meditated on just that one word. I said, well, Pastor, you're, you're, you're so good at that. I've been doing it for a long time. I've been do- You've got inside of you the Holy Spirit who has been put inside of you, and one of his purposes is to teach you. One of his purposes is to enable you. One of his purposes is, is to shine God's light one of his purposes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where it says, Eye is not heard, seen, ear is not heard, near is the, near is the, near is the entering of the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. But the Spirit's been given to us to reveal those things to you, but he uses God's word to do it. He doesn't just drop something on you. He takes God's word. So when you step out and begin to do this, it may feel awkward at first. You may, you're, the devil's going to tell you it's not working. Why is he telling you it's not working? Because he's going to get you to stop because he knows what will happen if you keep doing it. So it's a skill you develop by doing it and you've got a teacher inside to enable you to do this. The goal is to get beyond the words and have the Spirit of God 
create a picture in your mind that has meaning to you. And you'll know it's happening when it begins to stir you, when it begins to move you inside. Let's look at Joshua chapter 1. These are the instructions of Joshua. Now, Joshua is in the unenviable position of taking over after the greatest leader Israel's ever had up until this point. And this book starts by Moses is dead. And Joshua is now the one who's always been in his shadow. Joshua is the one that's been his faithful servant. And now Joshua has got the responsibility to take the next generation into the promised land that they know their enemies in there. They know the obstacles are in there. They know their people there trying to keep them from getting in there. And he's got the next generation because their parents chickened out. And he's overwhelmed. And these are the instructions that God gave to Moses. By the way, three times in this message that God gives him, three times he says, only be courageous. Don't know me, if God's got to tell you three times to have courage, there's something coming down the line you need to have courage about. So these were his instructions. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and and night. You said that doesn't seem very practical. But he's not saying you've got to stand in church doing it. He's not going to say you've got to have your Bible open. You can talk to yourself. You can talk the word to yourself. And I'll tell you a little bit about how to do that later on. You shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written. Notice, your meditating on it makes it real to you so that then you begin to act on that word. Because just meditating on it won't accomplish anything, but you won't do something that you don't believe. That you may observe to do according to that which is written therein, and then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. We all want to be prosperous, we all want to have a good success, but God's instructions is it begins by meditating on the word. They don't have this, I didn't give them the scripture, but uh, Proverbs 20, uh, Proverbs, Proverbs 20 says, um, uh, uh, My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes, but keep them in the midst of your heart, for their life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. So a number of scriptures tell us to meditate on this word. Now, one of the great ways to do it, what we're going to talk about, is to, is to find very practical things about this because we have busy schedules. And you have an enemy out there that's going to try to keep you busy. This is the last thing he ever wants you to do. Because if that word gets down in you and begins to work in you, understand this, the word of God, it is through, the Bible tells us in, in, in Hebrews 11.3, by, by faith we understand that the worlds, the, and that doesn't just mean this world, the, 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 the eons were framed by the word of God. Remember Genesis 1, how he did it? Let there be. So God spoke this universe into existence. The very power of this universe that they're just beginning to understand came from the power and authority of God's words. God's words are creative. They contain the power and the authority of God. And in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower says, if you get that word in your heart, God's word in your heart has to produce 
what God's word was intended to do. Isaiah 55 says, so just as the rain comes down from heaven and waters the grass, or the snow comes down and waters the grass, and, 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 and it doesn't return void, so the word of God comes forth and will not return void until it has accomplished what it was sent to do. So God's words contain God's power to produce what they say. The problem is that word has got to get sown in your heart and then come out of your mouth. And the battle is to get it in our heart, keep it in our heart, keep the weeds out of our heart, which are the cares of this life, and then begin to speak that out. And then Satan can't... This is just what Jesus did. His heart was full of the word, and he spoke it, and demons had to leave. Blind eyes had to open. The sea had to calm down. A dead man rose, several dead men rose from the grave because he spoke the authority of God's word without any doubt in his heart. Okay, so practical things. I just have certain times of the day when I do this. And I would encourage you, prayer time's a good time because some of my prayer time is just making confessions. But I, one thing I do is I do it in the shower. There's certain scriptures when I'm in the shower, but I, but I, but I talk to them myself. I don't just think about them. I'm talking because it means mutter. So I'm, I talk to myself. You, you do talk to yourself, don't you? Of course you do. Okay. So another thing to use for this is very helpful, and, and I use this when I taught this in a class because we had a longer time. I would, I would have an exercise where I'd have them bring, I think it was, was it one card? A three-by-five card. I would have them bring a three-by-five card the next time. And then their lesson was, they don't want to write anything on it. For the next week, I want you to carry it around in your pocket or your purse. And every time you think about it, I want you to bring it out. And that seems silly, but I was trying to train them to be conscious of the card. And then I had them take the scripture they were going to meditate on it and write on it. So every time they thought of that card, they'd pull that out and they would read that scripture and think about that scripture. Any device, practical device that reminds you to think on that scripture. And the more you do that, the more it just becomes second nature to you. And keep in mind, you've got the spirit of the living God in you to help to remind you of these things. So those cards are practical, very practical ways. So just don't do it while you're driving. But nowadays, we've got all kinds of devices that can speak to us. I've got books on my phone that I can play in my car to me. Just read them to me. It's amazing what you can hear when you listen. Okay, second tool we're going to talk about tonight is confession. And this is different from meditation. It's a different purpose. What is it? And this is so important because we all, many of us, were, you were raised in churches where confession was part of your normal religious exercise. And, and, uh, and it's scripturally, there's a scriptural basis to that. It's just that they use it for different purposes. But the word confess, we usually think of it in a negative term, confessing something that you've done wrong. But the word confess literally has a more simple meaning. The word confess means to adopt as yours, to accept something as yours. So what do you do when you confess a sin? You're accepting, I, I did that. I, I accept responsibility. I admit I did it, so I'm accepting that as mine. But confession also has a positive meaning to it when when you confess something that God has provided for you, that's how you receive it. So what does Romans 10 say? How are we saved? If you will confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So confession, confession was part of how you got saved because when you confess that Jesus was Lord, that means you were accepting as for you that Jesus is Lord. So confession, when you confess God's word, you're declaring it's yours. In fact, the Bible tells us that in order to receive by faith, we have to act on that word. And there's some things you just, there's nothing you can act on, but you can act on it by speaking it out. So, so when you declare that something is yours in God's word, that he's promised that what you're doing is you're receiving it by your word. You're acknowledging, that's mine. That's mine. I accept that as mine. So that's what confession is. The word literally means to own up to something or accept as yours. And although there's a negative confession, there is such thing as a positive confession, which is acknowledging with your mouth as yours what God has already given to you. And so what we're going to learn is that confessing is literally a way of bombarding your mind with God's thoughts because you're talking to yourself. You're talking to yourself. You're declaring God's word to yourself. So there are two basic purposes of confession. And one of them we're going to use, the other I want you to be aware of, but we're not going to use. So the Bible talks about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's a confession in the Bible that speaks something that you believe. And that's one of the ways, that's one of the ways of exercising your faith. You believe in your heart and you say with your mouth. So Romans 4.17 uh, God, this is how this is the section of Romans four talks about the God, Abraham's faith, following the steps of Abraham's faith, and we did a series on this a year or so ago on Wednesday nights, and so he's going to use God as an example. As it is written, this is quoting what God said in Genesis seventeen about Abraham. As it is written, a father of many nations, I have made you a father of many nations. Now, God said that before they had a child. God said that when Abraham was 90 at this point and Sarah was 80, something like that. They were both well past childbearing age. And remember, Sarah had always been barren. So God is declaring, I have made you a father of many nations when it was absolutely naturally impossible for Abraham or Sarah to have a child. So what does that mean? in the presence or in the sight of him, that's God, whom Abraham believed, who gives life to the dead and who calls those things that do not exist as though they do. So God creates things by declaring things that are so that don't yet exist. That's how they come into existence. So God creates with a positive confession. And so people, when they first hear this, often react, well, I'm not going to declare something that doesn't exist. That's lying. I'm declaring something that God has promised exists. I understand it's not here now, but I'm coming into it. In fact, the word confess in the New Testament is a word that means to say the same thing as. It's homologia. It's to say the same thing as God says. So when you conf- this kind of confession is a creative form. It's an act of faith where your heart's been built up to believe with all your heart that what Jesus said, didn't Mark 11, 23, and 24. In fact, I think they got one of these in here, 23. 
Mark 11:23. Jesus said this, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, now this is right after Jesus has been going out of Jerusalem, going into Jerusalem one day, and he looks to go at a fig tree to eat something off of it, and there are no figs on it. And so basically he says, he says, let no man eat fruit from eat your fruit ever again. He curses it. And he goes right on by his way. Comes out that night, and on the way back in the next morning, he's walking by it, and Peter stops and says, Master, that fig tree you cursed yesterday, it's dried up from the roots. And Jesus stops to use this as a teaching opportunity. And he says these words to them. For assuredly, I say to you, very, verily, verily, I think the, new King, the King James says, I say to you, whoever, now he's looking at whatever the mountain was. I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. So one of the kinds of confessions is when you've built your heart up to believe what God's promises, and now you declare that promise with your mouth. And by doing that, you're committing, it's, it's an act of faith. You are publicly committing or you're committing to yourself that I agree with what God has said, and that's part of the connection that helps it to have whatever he says. But that's not the confession we're talking about. We're talking about another purpose of confession. In this type of confession we've been talking about, um, you're, you're declaring something that you already believe on the inside of you. But the other kind of confession is to change what you believe on the inside of you. And that's the kind we're going to learn to use as a tool for renewing our mind. The second type is speaking to change what you believe on the inner... Now, in order to understand this, you have to realize that you have two sets of ears. Remember what Jesus says in a number of places, and then he, he says in the book of Revelation, he who has ears to hear let him hear. Well, when he was walking on the earth, he's talking to people that have clearly a flap of skin on either side of their head. So he's talking about a different kind of ear. He's talking about the inner ear. So you have an inner ear that hears in your, with your heart and hears with your mind everything, the sound that comes to you. Everything that's said, you hear. Now, you may reject what you hear, but you hear it. And there's one person that you hear from more than anybody else in your life. And there's one person you're more likely to believe more than anyone else in your life, and that's you. Because you hear everything you say. You hear everything you say. So the, one of the most powerful ways to get God's word down in your heart is to speak it to yourself. Because you're going to assume you're not lying to yourself. And this may sound silly to you, but I'm telling you, it works. And here why, here's why this is so important to understand. Because with the first time of, type of confession, you, you're speaking something that your heart is already full of. 
But with this type of confession, the reason you're doing it is your heart doesn't believe it. So one of the ways you change what's in your heart, one of the ways you get that word down in your heart is you speak that word to yourself. Now with meditation, you're trying to understand what you're saying. With meditation, you're trying to, you're trying to, to mull it over. With the confession, you're just speaking the word. You just speak it to yourself. You talk it to yourself. You speak it to and you're And when I do it, I'm doing it intentionally. I'm putting this word in my heart, and this is what I'm choosing to believe. And my mind may go berserk. My mind may fight it. But you see, the one thing you can do, and this is one thing I've... Whether you like something or don't like something, whether you believe something or don't believe something, you can speak. Well, I don't believe that. Yeah, but you can talk it to yourself. And your mind may say, yeah, I don't know if that's true. But you can still... But if you, you can out-talk your mind... In fact, you can bombard your mind by just talking to yourself. Remember the technique I taught you a few weeks ago when we talked about getting control of your mind and one of the ways is to just say stop because you can't think two thoughts at the same time? And this is a technique I learned years ago from a psychologist. He said, if your mind's going the wrong direction, just say stop because that will stop your thinking. Now, you may have to do it a number of times to do that. So... So when you speak to yourself, you're, you will eventually, your mind will get either bored or you will get your mind's attention. So this is a really practical thing. And again, your mind may fight it and say, that's just not going to work because your mind doesn't want you doing this. So what you're doing is you're bombarding your mind with words. Words are so, so powerful, especially your words to yourself. Just, just think about what you say to yourself during a day. I'm reading a book, which I read years ago, um, called Learning to Tell Yourself the Truth. That may sound silly, but you'd be surprised how often you lie to yourself. I can't do that. That's not possible. In most cases, you can do it. You just don't think you can. So you've, you talk yourself out of things. So we're talking to ourselves all the time. So we've got to learn to talk God's word to ourselves. Again, these are things we've known before. So, how do you make confessions? You simply speak the verse over and over again. And your mind will get bored, it'll get frustrated, but part of it is shutting your mind down so that you words stop it fighting it. And it will eventually, it will eventually get quiet and listen to the words because the words are anointed by God. Second thing is, be conscious of what you're doing that you're purposefully planting God's word in your heart. You're purposefully planting God's word in your heart. And the, the thing that's so powerful about this kind of confession is you don't even have to understand it. Now, for meditating, you do. But it, it's, this will just eventually, you just speak the word to yourself. Speak the word to yourself. Speak the word. You don't even have to agree with it. The mind does not have to agree with it because you're changing your mind. In fact, it may not agree with it at first at all. I found that there were things just because of the way I was raised with this subject of healing. Because I, I, I went to a school that Brother Hagen had a healing ministry. So I'm in a healing school and learning all about healing. And I, I, I came to see how the scriptures taught it, but there was a block inside of me. And I, I didn't know why. So it would only get down so far. 
it wouldn't really get down in my heart because somewhere there was a thought, somewhere there was some block in my mind that was, that was stopping it from getting down. So my mind would say, yeah, I understand what that scripture says. Yes, I understand what that scripture says. But somewhere there was a block and I could, I could feel it and I would get frustrated. But as I kept meditating, as I kept speaking the word, gradually the Holy Spirit would begin to show me what it was and would eventually get around that and get that down in me. Part of what he showed me is what I shared with you earlier about having to understand God's, this is all done out of God's character. They're not just random scriptures that God did. Because my way my mind worked, I had to see that. Okay. I hope this is helping you. It's helping me. So, the wonderful thing about just confessing the word is you don't have to agree with it. It doesn't take any faith to do this. It works. When you, when you your doctor, prescribes medicine, you get it with instructions and four pages of single-space warnings, but you get it with simple instructions on the bottle. Take this pill three times a day until they're all gone, especially with an antibiotic. Underline, until they're all gone. Why? Because when you start feeling better, the tendency, well, I feel better, you stop taking it, and the doctor knows something you don't know, it won't be finished until you take the whole thing done. So what do you do? You do what the prescription says. So you go back to the doctor and say, well, doctor, that didn't work. And what's the first question the doctor's going to ask you? Did you take the pills when I told you to take them? Well, no, they didn't work. Well, they're not going to work if you don't take them. So we follow those instructions. In fact, we'll read them very carefully. Now, dear, make sure I get this out of my schedule. I've got to take this three times a day and because that's what the prescription says. And you, do, you don't know how it works. You don't need to know how it works, do you? You just take it when you're supposed to take it, and it works. And God's Word is like that. If you just confess it to yourself, speak it out, it will eventually transform how you think. Because remember, you've got God's Spirit in you that's working from the inside to take this. Other thing, feelings have nothing to do with it. Feelings have very little to do with anything when it comes to God's Word. Feelings have nothing to do with it. You just do it and it works. Now, it's important why you, what your mind does while you're doing it because your mind's going to want to wander. It's going to want to fight you. So one of the most powerful things is while you're confessing God's Word is to meditate it on the same time. So now you're double-teaming your mind with God's Word. So don't let your mind wander. Think about what you're doing. Think about the process. I'm sowing this Word into my heart. God used this in the Old Testament for at least two very significant figures. Abraham, Abraham, Abraham's name originally was Abram. And the word, the name Abram in Hebrew means exalted father, respected father. But part of what God did when God came to him to promise him he was going to be the father of many nations is God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And there's other reasons for it too. But, but because the name Abraham means a father of many nations. So every time Abraham would speak his name, every time Abraham would hear his name, he was hearing a new identity. 
He was hearing who he was that God made him. He was hearing who he was on the inside. But perhaps the most dramatic one is his grandson. Because his grandson was one of two twins. To Rebecca was born Esau and Jacob, two twins. And when they were being born, Esau was coming out first, and Jacob tried to grab his heel and pull him back so that he was born first. The significance of that is their law at the time, the law at the time was called autoprimogenitor, which basically means the firstborn male got everything. And there was a small amount that the, any other males got. So what was at stake here was the birthright. And so Jacob is given the name Jacob, which means supplanter, somebody that butts in line, somebody that takes somebody else's place, somebody that cheats in order to get what he wants. And he grew up that way. He grew up that way. He conspired with his mother. And when his brother was out in the, his brother, you know the story, his brother was ruddy, he was rough, he was, you know, he was a macho kind of guy, he was a hunter, he loved in the fields, and he loved to catch game and fix it for his father. And so one day when he was out in the field, his mother got some venison, and she, they disguised, because Jacob was fair-haired, Jacob was kind of a mama's boy. And so they made him, because his father was going blind, they made Jacob feel like, Esau. Brother, Brother Hagen used to say this. He says, he said, the only example of I know anybody, only example of anybody that was led by their feelings was fooled. And that was Esau, Jacob's father. He was fooled because he was he felt like Esau, but it was really Jacob. So anyway, so Jacob steals his brother's birthright by deceiving his father, and then his mother to protect him has him sent to his uncle Laban, and Laban is a master deceiver, and so he deceives Esau, I mean, uh, Isaac, excuse me, he deceives Jacob. So Jacob's name and his character is that he's a cheat, he's a deceiver, he's a con artist, and his name reflects that. But on the way back, he finally gets, his, his, he finally gets the wife he wants. On the way back, He's headed back to his homeland. And, and, oh my goodness, he ends back to his homeland. And he knows he's going to have to confront his brother, whom he hasn't seen, I think it's 20 years or more than that. And so Jacob, with his great, with his great confidence and courage, sends everything else in front of him first, including his family, and he's last. But he got, God had him in right in the position he wanted to. Because one night when he's all alone, an angel comes and wrestles with Jacob and gets him to the place where the angel where, where the he Jacob and in this wrestling God is wrestling out of him because God had already called him from the womb to be the one that's going to inherit but he took what God promised him and he took it for himself and now God has confronting him alone and he's wrestling with this angel of God and he finally gets to the point where the angel at, noon, at, at dawn says, let me go. And, the, and Jacob's now changed on the inside and says, I will not let you go until you bless me. In other words, I don't have to, I don't have to manipulate my blessing anymore. I'm going to get my blessing from you. 
and the angel turns and does some other things, and then the angel now changes his name from Jacob, which means supplanter, to Isaac, which means prince of God. So God changes his name to reflect the change that's taken place on the inside. So from now on, not only is he known by his new identity, but the nation that's living in Palestine right now is the nation called by the name of a man that wrestled with God. So God changed his character and God changed his name so that every time that name was spoken by him and to him, it reflected what God had done on the inside of him. So God uses confessions. Third device, which we're just going to cover quickly, is learning how to monitor your thoughts. It's very important to become aware of your thoughts because in order to, in order to catch them, in order to bring every thought captive to Christ, you've got to begin to be conscious of your thoughts. So one way to do that, some people are very easily, some people, you've got them all day and you're not aware of them. But remember we learned early on that, that feelings come from thoughts. Feelings don't just come out of nowhere. They come from thoughts. They always follow thoughts. For one of the ways I've learned to identify my thoughts is to identify my feelings. So if I find myself, I felt myself uh, this afternoon when I came home, I found myself anxious, and I couldn't figure out why. And then I began to tra- trace my thought pattern back. And think about, oh, okay, there was somebody I had to talk to, and I'm not sure I understood why, but I know somehow there was a connection there. So if your feelings are often indicators of the thoughts you've been having, so one way is to learn that when you identify your a feel, I'm having this feeling, I'm anxious, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about something, stop yourself and say, okay, what are my thought patterns that have led up to this? And that will help you to begin to identify, identify your thoughts. Okay, monitoring your thoughts. Learning to get your thoughts, your, your, um, I got ahead of myself. Yeah, I, I, this book, Learning to Tell Yourself the Truth, is great on that. It really teaches you how to correct, catch your wrong thinking, your lies to yourself. Okay. Um, another way is using a diary. A lot of people keep a journal and use a diary. That's a good way to do it. Learn to ask yourself questions. I just did that. Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? And, and trace your thoughts back. One thing, do not let your mind be passive. It's called free-floating free thoughts. Just, just let your mind wander. Don't let your mind just wander because until your mind is really renewed, it's not going to wander in the right direction because there's so many influences us out there to let our mind wander. So be conscious. Try to, and again, understand this. These are skills you develop over time. But you've got to begin somewhere. If you just begin with some of these things, you'll begin to get a sense of control especially some of you that may be watching or here, and you're just, as I mean, I begin, I taught you, you can get your mind under control. And for some of you, that may seem like a very foreign thought, but you can because God's word says to. And so it begins by just taking these steps, but the more you do them, the more empowered you are because these are tools that God has given us out of his word for learning to control our mind and renew our mind. So, 
Another technique is fasting. Fasting, there are different types of fasting. We don't talk a lot about that. We, I think we'll talk more about this as we go forward. Um, there are different types. You can abstain from food. That's the, that's the basic type of fasting. But you can, you can, what fasting basically does is exercise control of your body. And when you begin to get control of your body, you can get control of your mind. It puts your flesh under control, and that helps get your mind under control. Fasting doesn't accomplish a spiritual work. It basically calms your body and your mind down so that you can hear your spirit better. Another tool is studying the Word. It's not just reading it for information, but it's digging into it. Look in commentaries. I Ask questions. That's the greatest way to learn when you're reading. Ask questions. I was, I've forgotten what I was reading this morning now. But I started asking questions about what, what does that mean? So I went and looked it up in a, in a couple of commentaries that I have. What does that mean? I wanted to have a better understanding of what, it, of what something meant. And that you, the more you do that, the more you're thinking about the word. So I would encourage you to, to set a schedule for yourself, something really practical. Tie it to something you do every day. Like eat. You do eat, don't you? Okay. Uh, going to bed. When you get up in the morning, part of your day where you do something, and don't, take, don't plan an hour to do something. Take five minutes, ten minutes. The most important thing is to have a regular habit of it. And what you'll find as it begins to work, you'll begin to take more time to do it. But you're doing it because it's working, not because I told you so. So just take five minutes. You can take five minutes three times a day and begin to meditate on God's Word. Just take a scripture. Pick one scripture. That, that you know is, and I'll give you some next time because we're going to talk about things to meditate on, things to per- intentionally renew your mind to so you have a goal for it. And say, pick, well, I'll give you some scriptures to meditate on. That's what I do. And I just go over those scriptures. I wake up in the night. I may wake up in the night and I, you know, my mind starts wandering to you know, the economy or something like that. I have certain scriptures. I start, okay, now let's start thinking about these scriptures. And I find I wake up sometimes with these scriptures already going around in my mind. So simple, a schedule that you do it to. Start small, but it will begin to grow and it will begin to work. I'm a living testament. This whole course came out of things that God taught me to help overcome some strongholds that I have in my life. This isn't something I just thought of. This would be a good idea. These are things that have worked in my life and are working now more than maybe ever, ever before. We need, we need to close. So I, I hope that these things help you. Um, and again, we'll start next time talking about, this is something the Lord spoke to me. He says, I want you to now take the end of this course and I want you to teach some of the things that you are renewing your mind to right now. And I've already been talking to you about some of these things. Let's pray. Father, we, we've heard a lot of information tonight, and some of it I know we've heard before, but we need to see it again and hear it again and to be reminded of these things. I, I thank you for everyone that's here and everyone that's watching online because they're here and they're watching because they have a hunger. They really want, we all want to grow. We want to learn how to cooperate with you, to take who you've made us to be on the inside and begin to experience that victory of the life of Christ flowing out of us. And so we thank you. We entrust these things now to the Holy Spirit who you've preciously given to us to accomplish exactly these things. So I just pray, Father, for the Spirit of God to take what we've heard tonight, these seeds, and begin to water them and bring us greater understanding and help us to 
implement these things and apply them in our lives in ways that it will work for us. Father, if there's anyone here tonight or watching online that's never received Christ as their Savior and as their Lord, help them see right now their need, their need for him. In Jesus' name. So if you're here tonight, and again, I know everybody here tonight, but maybe you're watching online tonight, and, and this is strange to you. you. You've never, we talked about how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I didn't go on and says, but whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you so much. He knows what your life is like. He knows everything about your life. He knows everything you've done right. He knows everything you've done wrong. He even knows your thoughts, every good thought you've had and every thought that's not so good you've had. God loves you so much that 2,000 years ago he sent his son to this earth to become a man and at the appointed time he took his sinless son and he placed him on that cross and on that cross God took your sin and my sin your thoughts and my thoughts your motives and my motives your words, your deeds and my deeds and he nailed them on that cross to his son and he poured out his judgment for our sins on his sinless son so that he could take his righteousness he could take his love and mercy and legally give it to you that's what God's done for you but you have to take a step towards him you have to receive that gift of his son Jesus Christ into your life maybe you're like me you've been raised in church you've taught to believe that Jesus is the son of God you've been taught to believe he died to pay for our sins but that's not enough you have to receive him personally in your life as the one that paid for your sins. And if you've never done that, I want to help you do that tonight by leading you in this very simple prayer. And I'm going to ask everybody here to join me. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I put my life, just as it is, into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my life. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. If you prayed that with me tonight for the first time, or maybe you made a recommitment to the Lord, there's a number at the bottom of your screen. I'd like you to call that number tomorrow. Somebody will answer that phone because we want to send you some free material to give you a better understanding tomorrow of what you did tonight. We so appreciate your being part of the program tonight. Make sure you tune in next week as we continue this together. I want, before we close, I want, just want to pray over your offerings, however you gave, whenever you gave. Father, we thank you tonight for the faithfulness of those that tithe and those that give. Father, your word says that when we are tithers, that, that you will rebuke the devourer for our sake. You will open the windows of heaven and pour us a blessing that we cannot contain. And you, we will be called a delightsome land. Now, because you promised that, Father, for those that tithe, we claim that. In the name of Jesus. And Father, we ask you to bless what everyone has done. In Jesus' name.